1: All right, Big Friday Show. It's been an exciting week. We just got some job numbers in, added 1.76 million jobs, which is good, but we were used to 4.5, 4.7 over the last two months, which got revised up, May and June did. But it shows maybe the economy's slowing, but it was pretty much expected when we got surprised by the number of cases uh, in Arizona, Texas, as well as Florida, and now through the Midwest and Georgia. Uh, so we're looking at some of those challenges. And the bottom line is where the unemployment's just over 10 percent now. That's around where the Great Recession was when it was at its worst. So hopefully we drive that down. For Trump's, for Trump's cause, he could say we're still on the right path. For the Biden cause, he could say we're slowing down, which you got to root for America. But I sense that they are rooting for a slowdown, especially if you see the way some of these Democratic governors are acting. We got Chad Pergram going to give us the latest on the rescue package and James Travitas, the admiral, telling us the latest on the, the move to have a health and human services secretary visit Taiwan, the highest ranking uh, cabinet member to go to Taiwan since 1979. What a message to China. We'll talk about that. Take your calls. Big three time.
2: Now with the stories
3: you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. VHS and DOJ officers were provided little to no assistance night after night in protecting federal properties and themselves, which violent opportunists used as a staging ground to prepare for their nightly assault on the courthouse and our officers.
1: Lawlessness and riots continue in Portland. That, of course, was Chad Wolf, uh, held, uh, the Homeland Security Secretary. Ten weeks and counting, Chad Wolf defends federal action on Capitol Hill simultaneously. Defunding police takes root in 20-plus cities. A combination sure to get us all assaulted, robbed, or killed.
4: Number
5: two. By Friday, if we haven't made significant progress and we're just too far apart, the president's prepared to take an executive action.
4: Perhaps you mistook them for somebody who gives a damn. See, the thing is, they don't believe in governance. They don't believe in governance.
5: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, Nancy Pelosi always speaks the facts. Today is the day the rescue package was going to be agreed upon. Instead, we get angst and anger as the president queues up executive action. You just heard it from Mark Meadows, which would likely do little overall. Meanwhile, New York's angry, embarrassing governor and mayor try to out idiot each other over months after the months after the peak of the outbreak. DeBlasio decides to crack down. On visitors while vilifying the rich, and Cuomo tries to lure them back because he wants this thing called tax revenue for the Big Apple. Number one. Unlike
6: the African American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things.
1: Yeah, that's Joe Biden. Let him speak. That seems to be what the Trump team is hoping Joe Biden will start doing as he talks more and more. And he says much alarming, arresting statements like the one you just heard. You just heard the latest series of insults to the black community. It's happening again. This is New York's AG moves on the NRA and Facebook moves on the Trump campaign. But the effect might be the opposite of its intent. A rally to protect the Second Amendment and more. Backing its great defender, Donald Trump. And I'm telling you, I watched that AG take aim and say that we are going to be suing the uh, NRA and trying to destroy it, right? Not saying there's some people within the organization located in New York that were going to investigate. They're out to destroy it. Pure politics by an AG looking to raise her profile in a city that was once great, New York City. And here's the thing. there A lot of times people across America who cover the Second Amendment— say, well, it's not really under assault. That's rhetoric. They, you know, you, you, Republicans try to drum them up, and Democrats try to drum it up to get their basic side in Republican. but it's not really under assault. You just heard it's under assault. You take out the NRA. You hire Beto O'Rourke for your cabinet, who wants to come for your weapon and set it. It's under assault. So for those people on the sidelines and say, well, Donald Trump is a little bit too rough around the edges for me, you like your gun? They're basically saying they're coming for it. They're knocking away at the edges. And yesterday, Facebook decided they are going to ban for the next 90 days a Trump campaign because they, a, a Trump super PAC, because they didn't like some of the ads. They said they were inaccurate. Don't tell me this isn't coordinated. Silicon Valley freezing out some presidential tweets. Now Facebook stepping up doing the same thing. You watch Google try to minimize these conservative sites like Breitbart, and then you have them going for the NRA, a powerhouse as a political action committee. Meanwhile, the opponent, you forget, the president has an opponent. It's Joe Biden. They feel as though in many cases that Biden's lead is substantial enough that they can keep the liability of a 77 year old vice president who lost his fastball 10 years ago. Keep him away because unscripted. He's a problem. Case in point. Biden was asked in to, in front of a Latin community, a, a Latin organization, as well as an African community group to answer some questions. What could be bad about that? After all, he feels he's got the Hispanic vote and black vote locked up. Listen to Joe Biden. Cut
6: one. Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things.
1: Okay. Think about this. If you're a member of the black community, you go, really? Let's just have a sweeping image, view of what we believe. Yeah, we all like the Yankees. We all like, to, we all like uh, a certain colleges. We all like certain foods. We all vote the same exact way. So just get to know one of us, we're all the same. Can you believe he even said that or thinks it? Now, I'm one person who's on the air six hours a day. A lot of times you say stuff and you say, you go to the break and you go, wow, I hope I said that right. But this is what he says. He does this stuff all the time. I mean, he makes racially insensitive remarks on a regular basis. You take the script away from him and you actually have a very troublesome candidate. In fact, it has been written about in today's New York Times. Jonathan Martin writes about it. The latest Biden gaffes are really real or perceived they think they're causing great anxiety among his staff and many dems they are thrilled there is no public campaign there is no public campaign he says he's being responsible by staying in his basement and wearing a mask he has no choice it's the only way he can win he expand on those stupid comments cut to
6: now when i mean full diversity unlike african american community and many other communities you're from everywhere from europe from the tip of South America all the way to our border in uh, Mexico and in in the Caribbean. And different backgrounds, different different ethnicities, but all Latinos.
1: Let me just tell you something. His point is this. If uh, you're from Puerto Rico, you have uh, different sets of uh, political leanings and things matter different from Cubans, uh, from Venezuelans. Uh, from Mexicans I knew that I did not need a political operative to explain that to me because I don't think about labeling people the same way it doesn't even occur to me and if you look at what happened in Florida for example you're not going to get a Cuban to vote for uh, Biden or Obama because by normalizing relations to the best they can and go to a baseball game with uh, the Castro kids and having uh, Karen Bass, as a finalist to be your running mate, who's been worshiping Fidel Castro since she was 18, tells the Cuban community to go jump in a lake. At the same time, he's trying to win over the Venezuelan community by saying get immediate amnesty as refugees because you're coming from that socialist country. He's asked that question. He gets himself all knotted up because he is a mess. He is the worst candidate to get a nomination ever because he is not good in his 60s. He wasn't strong in his 50s. Eight years ago, 12 years ago, when he went to run for president, he blew his campaign up literally in 48 hours when he called Barack Obama, then-Senator, clean and articulate. And for some reason, he still got the right to be his running mate. After four years of gaffes, they didn't really let him talk for the next four years. So having heard that, Donald Trump ran to the microphone and said this, cut three.
7: So I just watched the clip, and... Joe Biden this morning totally disparaged and insulted the black community. What he said is incredible. And I don't know what's going on with him, but it was a very insulting statement he made. And I guess you'll figure that out. You'll see it in a little while. But it was a great insult to the black community.
1: So what do you do? Give him less interviews? Remember what he said yesterday in this interview with the reporters? You just asked him about his cognitive ability. Remember, he kept, makes a statement, gets a question about, hey, you know, the president of the United States, had people question his, their, his cognitive ability. So he took one of those uh, tests and he says, I did great on it. So uh, he said to Doug McElwee, hey, uh, yeah, I've taken a plenty of tests. I'm fine. Then he gets that question, which is just knock it out of the park. Instead, this is his answer. 48 hours ago. Please clarify. Specifically, have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a
6: test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think? huh?
1: Are, are you a junkie? What do you... OK, telling a black reporter, are you a junkie? Are you taking cocaine or not? We, by the way, where did that come from? Where did drugs come from? No one said he's on drugs. No one said Donald Trump drinks. No one says Donald Trump has a drug problem. No one says that Joe Biden has a drinking problem. That no one ever brought that up. Where did that even come from? Why is that even relevant? And then you go and insult a reporter for a question like that? Can you imagine sitting down with Chris Wallace, Jonathan or here and getting some some confrontational questions? Which, if you're a candidate, you are ready for it. It gets you ready for the debates. So, uh, this is just 24 hours after we saw an interview... With uh, with Condoleezza Rice and she was asked about race by Peter Baker. And she said this. And I thought it was really relevant here. I don't really care if we are colorblind as a country, but I would like to get to the place when you see somebody who is black, you don't have preconceived notions of what they're capable of, who they are, by the way, what they think, which is, I think, a problem of the left. You just saw it. And that former secretary of state said it. 1-866-408-7669 one She grew up in the South. She became a conservative. Try to put her in a box. I dare you. Back in a moment with Chad Pergram. Where are we at with the rescue package? There was a meeting between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. Did they make any progress? We'll find out.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage, all the way to the We Just Hit a Million Orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
1: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of.
2: Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: I always see everything, as you know, through the eyes of the children. And through the eyes of the children, this is what we see and say to the Republicans, don't nickel and dime our children. Some of them will become homeless because the Republicans are nickel and diming our children. These families are crying out for the Six hundred dollars. All
1: right, Uh, I can't hear it uh, anymore. The Speaker Pelosi talks to us like we're children. Chad Pergram, Fox News congressional correspondent, knows everything going on. Uh, Chad, I thought about you right away because I heard that Mitch McConnell and the President were meeting. He has not been involved in negotiations. What do you think that means about what might take place today?
9: Well, we don't even have clarity that there's going to be a meeting today on Capitol Hill. I mean, there's really nobody here, frankly. Uh, The House and Senate are basically gone. The House won't come back until there's a bill on which to vote. McConnell uh, has put the Senate in session next week but won't recall members uh, until there's something on which to vote. Um, I mean, Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary last night, after the meeting, uh, this was the longest meeting they've had after about nine or ten days of talks, he said, quote, we're not going to keep coming back up every day if we can't get a deal. In other words, these sides are just kind of locked in. There's no resolution. There's a lot of consternation on both sides uh, that, you know, they had nine, 10 days of talks, Brian, and they barely moved an inch.
1: So we have Mark Meadows playing a role there. I saw Senator Schumer come out and says Mark Meadows looks like he's bored. We used to make progress with Mnuchin. Not anymore. Can you bring us inside the talks?
9: Well, this is an interesting factor here. There was a very good working relationship which was established between Mnuchin and Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. Mark Meadows, his calling card, when he was the leader of the Freedom Caucus, when he was a congressman from North Carolina in the House of Representatives, was blowing things up spending bills, uh, you know, trying to unseat John Boehner, which he was ultimately successful in there, and the, the speakers, uh, the speakership. Uh, you know, so now Meadows is key to trying to bring together the sides. Uh, that is a completely different role for him, and it's unclear that he can get there. Uh, there was one theory out there that if the president uh, was actually involved in the talks, they might actually get somewhere, but he has, you know, a terrible relationship, probably the worst relationship we've seen between a Speaker of the House and a sitting president, probably in a century, frankly, or if not more. Uh, I mean, Nancy Pelosi and the president, uh, they had a couple of meetings uh, last year on infrastructure that were just major blow-ups, and so they can't even be in the same room. Um, where this goes, this is why the administration is talking about executive orders. Uh, they are limited in scope as to what they could do. They could suspend collection of the payroll tax uh, taxes. They could, you know, suspend collection of student loans. Uh, they could probably reprogram a little bit of money toward additional unemployment benefits. But you are limited there. I pressed the speaker about this yesterday because, remember, they, you know, Congress did not approve money for the border wall, or at least not in the numbers, uh, the dollar figures that the president wanted. And so once they got their hands on that money, the administration uh, diverted some of those funds toward the border wall. You can do that up to a point because under the Constitution, uh, Congress has the power of the purse here. And so if you're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars, first of all, or trillions, first of all, you just can't you know, pull this money out of the ether. That's the first thing. Number two, if you're going to reprogram a lot of money, and I was told that there's about $140 billion of unused coronavirus money and also disaster relief aid that they could start to play around with. But, you know, even even that's a small figure. That's only about a tenth of what the Republicans were talking about. They were talking about a trillion-dollar bill. You know, $140 billion is not that much uh, in these circumstances, Brian.
1: I know it won't get us failed. What do you think the 1.7 million jobs added does and the one million job loss on Thursday, unemployment claims, does for this dialogue. Where's the urgency now after those numbers come in?
9: Well, you know, I said last week that, you know, let's see where the jobs number falls and how that impacts the talks. Now, if they're not talking, it probably doesn't impact them at all. Uh, The fact that maybe if they were getting somewhere, it might influence them a little bit more. You know, it was not... All things considered, you know, the most awful jobs report they've ever had, considering, you know, the, the shambles the economy is in here. If it was a, a devastating number, that would probably spark these talks. But, you know, I was struck, Brian, by members of Congress who left town this week saying, look, we're not getting a deal. You know, we have people who are going to be poor in our district, in poverty, uh, you know, needing food assistance. Uh, those are, and this is both sides of the aisle, uh, you know, where they are very concerned about what happens economically in the fall. And you can only do so much by an executive order. And the pressure on the other side, and of course, this is mostly from the Republicans, is that you would have to spend so much After they spent more than $3 trillion in the first couple of quarters this year, you cough up another trillion or a couple more.
10: Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion,
3: and it's available wherever you find your audio.
0: Daily analysis and news.
1: He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond
3: to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
9: Trillion again, and then where are we in the winter? Do we have to do it again? You see where this is going, and that's why we're, maybe they were thinking, okay, if the jobs number's a little better, maybe we don't have to put that much into additional unemployment uh, assistance. Uh, maybe we don't need mm-hmm. to put that much into direct payments. So a muddled number, kind of a middle of the road number here. It probably doesn't do much, frankly.
1: And lastly, the six hundred dollars. Uh, the six hundred is a supplement to the normal unemployment insurance. The Republicans offer two hundred. Where's that at?
9: Well, there's not the votes in that for the Senate. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell talked. Uh, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he was going to dare Democrats to oppose. Uh, extensions of these unemployment benefits at lower numbers, $200, $400, $500. It was like a, a tobacco auction, you know, in terms of how much money they would put forth. Here's the problem. McConnell said on our air, on Fox uh, on Fox News, that he had about 15 to 20 Republicans who were opposed to any more debt. So what that means is he couldn't even pass something on his side. And the reason that wow. these, these dare votes never materialized, Brian, to wrap up, is because he didn't have the votes on his side.
1: Chad Pergram, thanks so much. Maybe you'll surprise us and say they started talking again and get something done today. Thanks, Chad.
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: The fastest three hours in radio. You're
3: with Brian Kilmeade we've had a really important longstanding partnership with Taiwan, especially in the field of public health. Their response to COVID has been incredible. And frankly, it stacks up uh, pretty well uh, in terms of their transparency compared to uh, certain other entities. And I'm looking forward to going over and being with my colleagues there.
1: And that is uh, Jerry Azar, uh, the Health and Human Services Secretary, Alex Azar, I should say. And it's the highest ranking official sitting cabinet member to go uh, visit Taiwan since 1979. Why is that? Why is that important? China is not happy. Admiral James Javridis, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, uh, author of Sailing True North, joins us now. Admiral, how significant is Azar's visit?
11: Oh, it's huge. And it is coming at just the right time. And I think it is very carefully calibrated. Let me start by saying uh, I was in Taiwan about a year ago or so, met with Madam Tsai, the president, met with the National Security Advisor. I'm a a strong supporter of Taiwan and a proponent of greater U.S. engagement. So you want to dial this in in a way that isn't going to launch us into uh, an immediate uh, confrontation with China. So instead of sending the Secretary of Defense or the Secretary of State, you send the Secretary Azar, Health and Human Services. It's a very smart move, but it also is a very important marker to put a cabinet level official in Taiwan at this moment. I think it's a good move by the Trump administration.
1: And um, we know that they've steamrolled Hong Kong. I asked the president, too, you know, what if they go after Taiwan? the same way they did Hong Kong. He said, we'll have to see, but that would be a lot harder, don't you think?
11: Oh, immensely harder. And um, here's the state of play in terms of Taiwan. First of all, it's relative to Hong Kong, much bigger, bigger GDP, much bigger population. It's a big island physically. It kind of guards the northern entrances to the South China Sea, so it's a big geographic space. The good news is they're fairly well armed. Uh, they do receive uh, fairly high technology weapon systems, defensive mostly from the United States. And by the way, Brian, um, floating at the moment is the idea, and I think it's a good one, of upgrading some of the uh, military systems that we sell to Taiwan. And by the way, Taiwan has plenty of money they can afford to purchase these systems. So that means missile defense-type systems. It means, most recently, sale of an upgraded, uh, large-scale drone system that could go out over the South China Sea and see the Chinese coming from greater distance. So um, we definitely don't want to get in a war with China over Taiwan. The best way to avoid that is to give the Taiwanese the ability to defend themselves, make them— such a tough nut to crack that it deters China. I think that's all part of our strategy. So
1: more, so more moves. China is confirming they'll vote against extending the Iran nuclear arms embargo um, with 89 of 15 favorable votes to continue it. So uh, the ones voting against it, China, France, and Russia perhaps, the U.K. and the U.S. must vote in favor of the resolution. Uh, that means if China or Russia issue a veto, Pompeo's resolution will fail. So it uh, looks like China is out.
11: It does. And uh, we're not quite there yet because they do not have the votes to actually uh, win the Chinese and the Russians, but they do have the veto power, Brian. Uh, The the five uh, principal members of the UN Security Council can veto anything. Uh, I think that's probably where this is headed. And it's too bad because the The current agreement is – it's not even on life support. It's dead. Regardless of how the election comes out, we're going to have to renegotiate it. The sooner we get to a reality check on that, the better. This is part of China which is drawing closer and closer to Iran. They just also signed, Brian, a big economic deal between the two countries. So, frankly, no surprise.
1: So they're trying to help Saudi Arabia get a, a nuclear program going. And it looks like they've been successful, according to The Wall Street Journal. We know Saudis, the Saudis and Iranians are uh, are enemies. So are they playing both sides here?
11: Well, let's face it, China's all about the economics globally. This is their strategy. They call it one belt, one road. It's to create a global network and thus use the geoeconomics. You know, we talk about geopolitics a lot. Geoeconomics is building economic influence in a wide variety of countries. And uh, China is doing that very methodically. They are indeed playing both sides in that sense. They'll try and kind of balance those two things. Uh, Frankly, if I were the Saudis, I would not want to be rushing into high-tech nuclear uh, technology exchanges for uh, nuclear power in my country, knowing that China is getting closer and closer to Iran. So I'd, I'd have a little bit of skepticism over whether that Saudi Chinese deal will come to fruition or not? Stay tuned.
1: Do you think it's a big deal? China and Russia are trying to ditch the dollar and form their own alliance.
11: I think this is a uh, logical move on the part of China. They have been frustrated for really two decades that the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the United of the world. It gives the United States enormous ability. For example, in the moment we're in now, to finance our economy. Uh, while we come out of this uh, coronavirus impact. Um, Russia really is a bit player in this. Uh, China's going to have to try and, and draw together some other major countries. This is where we uh, need to stand very firm with Europe, or I should say, Brian, the Europeans need to stand firm with us. I think we want a dollar-euro world that does not envision the Rim Bimbi which is the Chinese currency as a reserve currency. I don't think it'll work.
1: Admiral Chaviridis, we've been transfixed seeing the bomb damage in Beirut. Uh, why would someone yeah. uh, pa- park a Russian ship, leave all this explosive material in it, and say it was a mistake? I mean, what do you, what do you make of this blast that— Uh, They're focusing on 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate that was extremely explosive, obviously, if you use with fertilizer. It's stored at the facility for six years. Are we to believe what we know so far? Are you getting different intelligence?
11: I am not getting different intelligence. I think this one is, you've heard of that old expression, Occam's razor. Occam was a a Dutchman centuries ago, and he said that sometimes— The simplest answer is the right one. And here I think it is garden variety, malfeasance, incompetence, uh, verging on, not verging on, that it becomes criminal behavior in leaving 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate. You know, you can spin some other scenarios out there, Brian, but I have seen nothing yet that would convince me this is not just a, a terrible accident, but an accident that will require accountability within Lebanon. Look, the bigger picture here is this is going to continue to shatter the Lebanese economy. And the problem is it allows Hezbollah, the global terrorist organization, really the best terrorists in the world, it it further uh, degrades Lebanon's ability as a nation to deal with them. That risks Israel. It risks. Uh, attacks against other allies of the United States—that's the—that's
1: the dark end of the spectrum. here. Wow, um, pretty significant. So the Russians have been moving into Libya. They did not want us going in there to begin with. We had no strategy. We just bombed it. Qaddafi dies, and we just basically left it after the Benghazi debacle, where uh, those Americans yeah. lost their lives, and the and the the controversy raged. But now it looks like they're putting the S-400 missile defense system into Libya. Uh, that why? How do the Russians get influence, and why do we just
12: leave?
11: Yeah, I know a lot about this one. Uh, I'll keep it brief. But as the Supreme Allied Commander in 2011, I was in command of that mission, uh, and it was, a, as you recall, a NATO mission. We launched 35,000 sorties. We destroyed Qaddafi's ground troops. That was done because the United Nations asked us to do that the mistake was at the political level, you nailed it, just walking away afterward. And I put that on the United States, on France, on the United Kingdom, on the European Union, everybody just walked away. Flash forward to today, as a result, not to be unexpected, you see a raging civil war, East versus West, which has always been a tribal split in Libya. Russia sees opportunity, and the other bad actor here, Brian, is Turkey. Turkey is aligning with the Government out of Tripoli in the West and Russia is aligning in the East. They want the oil, they want influence in that region, um, and this thing could turn very ugly, uh, as in a conflict between uh, Russia and, uh, of course, Turkey, which would pull NATO back into it potentially. Um, this one is is floating under the radar, but is a very dangerous situation.
1: Incredible, it's, uh, the, the amount of major stories that are going on. So there's a yeah. G7 coming up in America, I believe in September. Uh, I'm glad we're not going to be inviting Russia. They've done nothing to deserve an invitation. But do you yes. think that could be a, a, a dry run on some type of united front against China's expansion as well? as damage done by a virus they still haven't come clean on. Do you look for a joint statement against China on that?
11: I do, and I think that um, we're making some progress in uh, convincing our allies. Here's a very important tactical piece that you know about, Bryna, uh, which is the 5G networks and getting the rest of the world to walk away from the Chinese company Huawei which is building these 5G networks. We don't want that because China will then have a backdoor into the entire Internet, Wi-Fi, uh, all of our scientific systems. It's a, a very dangerous place to allow a Chinese company to dominate. So the U.K. has said they won't do it. Australia won't do it. New Zealand won't do it. The Japanese won't do it. We need to get the rest of the Europeans to walk away from it. I think the G7 is the perfect format for that. President Trump can line up with uh, Prime Minister Abe of Japan and with Prime Minister Boris Johnson of the UK, put pressure on the other members of the G7 to step away from Huawei. And that could be the beginning of a united front that says to China, we're not going to allow not only the Huawei 5G, but your claims in the South China Sea, all the other uh, confrontational issues we have with China, I think we're going to need our allies. The G7 is the right format for us to go after that.
1: Admiral, a pretty comprehensive look at the world. I don't know how you do it every week, but I truly appreciate it.
11: <laughs> it's my pleasure, Brian, and I hope we can get you down here to Jacksonville sometime this summer and over to the beaches.
1: Um, no, absolutely, but my problem is these idiot, this idiot mayor and governor – now we're saying if you come back, you need to sequester or quarantine for 14 days, <laughs> uh, even oh though. So we have this war between the states that is incredible. Yeah. So it's really inhibiting the this, the national economy and our travel. So I got to f- try to work out a 15 minute test because I'm dying to get back out there, too, over to Ponte Vedra. I
11: know. I, I was just going to say the answer here is a high speed, competent test. And, you know, what happened with Governor DeWine yesterday doesn't exactly give you a lot of confidence. Right? And just to we expand on good, that,
1: he tested test. positive, took another test, tested negative. And I'll tell you, Admiral, a couple of things happened. Uh, my, my, uh, I've had people and my son's friends were all the uh, they're in the same location, and one guy tested positive. So the next day they go to get tested. The line was so long, three of the guys left. The other guys got tested. You know, the three guys that left after they signed in got got a notice in the mail that they tested positive. They never took the test. And then when I bring this Uh, up, people are telling me other stories. This is a debacle.
11: Yeah. Yeah. No, we need a national level, high speed, accurate test. I think that would solve an awful lot of problems. Let's hope we get there and let's hope we get a vaccine quickly. Admiral James Shevides, thanks so much. Okay, Brian. Talk soon.
1: Bye. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll take your calls. Whatever's on your mind will be on our program.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian
10: Kilmeade from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominic Podcasts. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting
2: you talking, you're with Brian Kilmeade.
0: Well, uh, yesterday was not Joe Biden's best day. Uh, <clears throat> this very odd comment uh, about the, well, uh, Latin, you know, Hispanics have more diversity than 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 blacks. Uh, the black community uh, it didn't make any sense. I think he's pulled it, pulled it back. It wasn't, it wasn't a good day for Joe Biden.
1: It isn't a good day. You know why? He's unscripted. In a traditional run for office, he would have been forced to have even a light schedule would have been problematic. On the other hand, in a normal run for office, Donald Trump excels. He does four or five um, events a day. As it gets closer, he amps up. His energy is through the roof. He can play off a crowd like no one I've seen. He attracts a crowd. If you look online, just his drive yesterday in Ohio, they lined the streets to see the beast. Not him, the beast, but the limo that's all, you know, obviously armored. They just want to see him. And you forget how popular he is in certain sectors with certain communities in certain counties in uh, in this country, because all you see is the Portlands, the Seattle's, the New York, the Black Lives Matter in front of Trump Tower, the Washington, D.C., uh, D.C. disdain. And it's just not the case. And you used to get, uh, you used to have that confirmed watching the live events, but. Can't watch live events. Don, listening on KDWN in Las Vegas. Don,
0: good morning, Brian. Nice listening to you as usual. Uh, you. There's four reasons why Biden will not debate. Number one, the 280 million dollar advertising budget, 64 digital, uh, 224 the main media, uh, and other other forms. Uh, and also, number two, fake news. That's uh, CNN, ABC, uh, NBS, and BC. Uh, ABC, the whole bit, um, uh, PBS and NDR, all of them, Yahoo. Um, Number three is mass mailings in six states, which will give him a huge uh, propaganda boost. So the the fake news TV will be well out in advance talking about how Biden's just blowing Trump away. And number four, uh, Kushner. I am a little dubious about him. I think we got the wrong guy in the wrong position to pull Trump across the uh, finish line, but I, I, I think like-
1: that uh, you know what I—I I know he's—he's he's hadn't done it before. Really bright guy. I I'd be—I I'd feel a lot better if Corey and David Bossi and Bannon were back. But I think that Stepien's doing a really good job. I think the next time you see polls, it's going to close, and then people are going to realize there is a hidden Trump vote. Maybe the distance too great now. But if he can close those polls and force Biden out and this number two, he's boxed himself in. There is no good choice for number two. Kamala Harris, deeply flawed, smart, bright, does not know the issues. And Karen Bass is uh, is not equipped in a very dicey background. Elizabeth Warren is not likable, but she's competent. But that's not what he wants. He wants. Uh, an African-American, he wants a minority. Tammy Duckworth, a war hero who's already waffled on George Washington. So I don't believe, I, I can't believe the choices. Uh, and that's big. Missy online in West Virginia. Missy, quick.
8: Hi, hi, Brian. How are you? Good. I wanted to say, people, please wake up. Joe Biden is the Trojan horse for the candidate that did not make it initially. Okay. Anyone who watches TV knows this man is not fit to lead. And him running is a conspiracy by the Democratic Party to get in who they want to get into control. You can't seriously sit back and say this man is fit to run the country. He's not. Please wake up. Everything Missy, I hear you.
1: And independence, independence and undecideds will decide this election. But clear-thinking Democrats cannot feel good about casting that vote. And as soon as if he does the other thing and just lets everybody know who's going to be in his cabinet, it'll reveal that he is going to be so left wing. He might as well be Bernie Sanders, which makes him a non-starter for a lot of Democrats. His wife says he's a moderate. He might think he's a moderate. His policies say he is way left.
10: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News.
1: Yes, receptive to you and to everyone around the world. We're coming to you from New York City, the capital, uh, the Big Apple, whatever you want to call it. But it's the place where no one's working. And we have the worst mayor in the world. Hi, everybody. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by Geraldo Rivera. Uh, Used to be in New York. Now he's in Ohio. Don't go to his house. Um, He's... wearing shorts. I know that for sure. He was wearing shorts talking to the president yesterday. And then at the bottom of the hour, Rhonda McDaniel with us. All she's doing is running the RNC, trying to pull off a convention like no other, moving locations two times, as well as getting a ground game going that does not exist right now for the Democrats and pull the president from behind to in front, forcing Joe Biden out of his basement. And I do not exaggerate. So there's a lot going on in New York as the mayor and governor, same party, just brawl, and we all pay the price. So let's get to the big three so I can get to Ronaldo.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's
3: Brian's Big Three. Number three. DHS and DOJ officers were provided little. No assistance night after night in protecting federal properties and themselves, which violent opportunists used as a staging ground to prepare for their nightly assault on the courthouse and our officers.
1: Yeah, it was unbelievable. They were questioning his tactics. I'm talking about Chad Wolf. Lawlessness and riots continue in Portland. Ten weeks and counting. While Chad Wolf defends federal action on Capitol Hill simultaneously. Defunding the, pol- the police is not a slogan. It's taking root in 20-plus cities, a combination sure to get us assaulted, robbed, or killed.
5: Number two. By Friday, I- if we haven't made significant progress and we're just too far apart, the president's prepared to take an executive action.
4: Perhaps you mistook them for somebody who gives a damn. See, the thing is, they don't believe in governance. They don't believe in governance.
1: Yeah, really, Nancy Nancy Pelosi. Today is the day the rescue package was going to be agreed upon. Instead, we get angst and anger as the president queues up executive action, which was likely too little. Meanwhile, New York's angry, embarrassing governor and mayor try to out idiot each other. Uh, Months after the peak of the outbreak, de Blasio decides to crack down on visitors to the city at major hubs and asking the NYPD volunteers to do it while vilifying the rich while Cuomo tries to lure them back because we have no tax dollars.
6: Number one. Unlike the African-American community with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about
1: different things. It's always fascinating to go down memory lane with a guy with no memory. Let him speak. That seems to be what the Trump team is hoping. Joe Biden will start doing more and more. Because the more he talks, the more alarming and arresting statements he makes. You just heard the latest. He insults black Americans and Hispanics in two sentences. This is New York's AG moves on the NRA, but the effect might have the opposite of its intent. A rally to protect the Second Amendment. No longer rhetoric, but real. Backing its greatest defender, Donald Trump. Yesterday, Geraldo Rivera had a chance to speak to that very president, and he joins us now. Hey, Geraldo.
13: What's up, Brian? Good president- to talk to you. I love that, uh, you know, uh, your your characterization of New York City and New York State, uh, spot on. The places are going to hell in a handbasket.
1: And but You know, Geraldo, you've seen it all. You've seen the worst, and you've seen the best. It's not political. I barely remembered what party Rudy Giuliani was. He, I just knew he was the mayor. And I didn't, you know, Bloomberg switched so much. I didn't even know if they were electing a Republican. You gotta, <laughs> now it's now it's so clear they're just playing politics, and the city is going into the toilet.
13: But it's 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 politics of spite. It's the politics yes. of personal gratification. It's it's politics that are not designed to help your constituents. It's politics where you score one before you get thrown out of office by term limits. It's uh, it's very distressing, Brian.
1: Well, I want you to hear what uh, Mayor de Blasio just said to Governor Cuomo, who basically says, I'm begging. I used to beg pe- rich people not to leave. Now I'm begging them to come back. And Mayor de Blasio basically called him out, saying if the rich do come back, we're going to tax them more. Where does that come from? Does he look at his ledger? Does he expect just a blank check to come from the federal government?
13: Are you asking me? He's yes. a communist. I mean, he really is a, he's a Sandinista. He's, he, he, he's given up even the facade of trying to get along. He's, uh, he's, he's stopped trying to be a functional, pragmatic politician, and now he's become an ideologue uh, because he knows that he, his only legacy... Uh, will reside in the minds of his uh, of his his family and some of the uh, the left wing activists that he's gathered around him in his long and undistinguished career. Remember, I remember he started out. Uh, he made a point of not shoveling snow in front of my building yeah. in our neighborhood yeah. because it's a high end neighborhood, <laughs> so he didn't want to give him services. He said, "No, that's the way it used to be under the old mayor. You started at the nice neighborhoods. Now we're starting at the worst neighborhoods, and we'll work our way back to the you know it." it, it It was impractical. He ignored areas of the central city. He kept snow in Manhattan and kept the commuters. You know, he's a spiteful person, and it's all coming out. Uh, You know, you only uh, uh, realize who's not wearing pants when the tide goes out, Brian.
12: To the point about the folks out in the Hamptons, I have to be very clear about this. We do not make decisions based on the wealthy few. Uh, That I I was troubled to hear... This concept, and there are some who may be fair weather friends, but they will be replaced by others. But we must build our policies around working people. And if our federal government fails us and doesn't provide stimulus, uh, we should immediately return in Albany to the discussion of a tax on wealthy New Yorkers. What, what is
1: he talking about? I
12: mean,
13: it's a, a tax on wealthy New Yorkers who are already. Uh, thinking of never coming back. Yeah. So this is a perfect. This is a perfect self-fulfilling prophecy. I'll raise taxes on rich people, and I predict rich people will never come back. I mean, rich. you need rich people to provide services to poor people because there's. You need money to pay for stuff. You got to pay for the salaries. You got to pay for the service provided. Uh, you, you know the 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 great uh, uh, kind of treaty. Uh, in New York with Wall Street and so forth is that New York, you have to pay a premium to live there. Everybody knows that it's, it's 10%, 20% more than any other place. You got to pay the premium to live there. But in exchange, you get to be in the place with Lincoln Center and Central Park and all the rest of it. If the city starts going to crap, as it was when I was coming up as a young man, mid-60s into the 1970s, that's the spiral we are on right now. Drug-riddled, crime-riddled, uh, rapists everywhere, multiple uh, shooters, uh, turnstile justice uh, sure. you, you know a physical uh, f- a plant that's h- horrible for its melancholia uh, runaways uh, uh dysfunction uh, squeegee men uh, filthy rags on your windshield uh you know it's uh, it it if we get back to that dystopian uh you know uh the war on LA kind of uh uh, place in New York and the other big cities, we are screwed. And and to allow, in the meantime, uh, the various anarchists, the drug dealers, and the and the uh, Antifa and the similar uh, yeah. uh, radicals, I mean, it's uh, it has to stop now. The mayors have to stop considering themselves as enemies of the state, because they, I believe that they are.
1: And I like rich people, and you know how hard you work to be successful. No one gave you anything. You had to work your entire life. And if you have money, they say... And Cuomo said this, the top 1% pay 50% of all the taxes in New York. And this idiot mayor doesn't see that. He said, if they come back, we're going to tax them more. So John Castamatides, who was with me to announce on Fox and Friends, with me to announce that they're rebuilding the Greek church that damaged when Tower 2 fell on 9-11. I asked him about running for mayor. And listen to the figure he threw out on how much has been lost already. When you look at what's happening in New York right now, does it make you want to run more for mayor or less? Somebody
7: has to save New York. New York is a mess. It's going downhill at too fast a pace. Um, I told the real estate industry yesterday that a trillion dollars' worth of value uh, has gone south.
13: Trillion? Already? I I mean, it's true. I, I sold my apartment just before the pandemic hit. Uh, my apartment, I, I won't give you the figures, relatively obscene, down 40% now on the market because uh, nobody wants to buy a high-end apartment. Why do you want to buy a high-end apartment? You're going to get extra taxed. Uh, you're going to be treated with contempt. Uh, you're going to live in a place where you, you live at the, at the whim and, and whimsy of whatever it is that the radical, uh, populist uh, city administration decides is best for the city. I mean, it really is, uh, it's, it's appalling. I feel so badly for it. I, mm-hmm. It may cool down after the presidential election, uh, you know, where they where they have decided that they New York will not secede from the union. Uh, maybe it'll quiet down after that, but uh, right. uh, it is very, very disconcerting.
1: So, uh, Haraldo, you talked to the president yesterday, you asked him about the VP pick, and you brought him to Kamala, Kamala Harris, the senator from California.
13: Let's listen. What do you think of Kamala Harris and the likely now the odds on favorite to be the VP choice by uh, by Joe Biden? I
7: think she's fine. You know, I mean, she did very poorly in the uh, in the race. She was expected to be one of the winners and, uh, you know, one of the potential stronger candidates. And she ended up going out with nothing. So she was a thud. But uh, I, I'm fine with any of them. Frankly, I would have I would have said she'll probably be the one. But what she you- did very poorly.
1: Evidently, Republicans well, want Rice. They feel like she's the ripest target. What do you think? And what do, what do you glean right.
13: from Rice is just a, that's a, the dream of columnists. Uh, she's never been elected to anything, uh, Susan Rice. I mean, she's a fine uh, person. Uh, she... You know, performed admirably, honorably uh, in a job that was wrought with controversy over Benghazi and so forth. Uh, She lied like crazy. I don't see, I don't see Rice at all. I I see Kamala Harris as being what made her a weak candidate in the in the Democratic primaries. Her history in terms of being tough on crime and so forth. I think that that will work in Biden's favor. See, I picked a you know. a Senator and a black woman and not only that but she's a former prosecutor. We're tough on crime. We're not going to yield to uh, Antifa or whatever it is. I, I can see her being a much more powerful uh, general election candidate than she was in the Democratic primary. Uh, still a long shot. for uh, I, I think Trump's coming on I, in the last couple of days. I, I think that the momentum has shifted uh, with his confidence and 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 the thing that's tolling the most heavily and most negatively Joe Biden is uh, they're getting after him on come on Joe you got to come out come on you got to come sit with a real interviewer let's see if you really got what it takes can you deal with uh, you know it's it's there they're not trick questions Uh, you gotta you gotta be asked questions from a serious person who compares your answer today with your answer in the mid-90s for example
1: a couple of things are happening going after the NRA trying to neutralize their impact on this election is blatant and could be impactful, could mobilize and and uh, and actually mobilize the, in a positive way all gun owners who thought, well, this is not really going to be an issue. There's no real attack on the Second Amendment. They could actually see that now. Or And number two, Facebook telling the Trump campaign is not going to be able to advertise for 90 days because of what they say is com- continuing to put inaccurate things online. It's almost as if – and at and the same time, Twitter has been freezing various tweets of the president for the last few weeks. There's a concerted effort to. To stop them.
13: I, as a former member of the NRA, I just stopped paying my dues. I got sick of them after their response to uh, Sandy Hook and other uh, massacres. I, I thought they're extremely insensitive, uh, and we and Wayne LaPierre Le, Le most of all. Uh, it's not like the NRA from Charlton Heston's day. Uh, so uh, when they emphasize not only uh, gun rights, Second Amendment, but also uh, training and, uh, you know, competence, uh, so you, you don't give a gun to every knucklehead that's going to go out there and shoot up his ex-wife. Uh, I, I, so I have no sympathy for the uh, for the NRA. What I believe, though, is that in terms of scapegoating, uh, uh, you know, various activist groups or activists. I think the Democrats are going to come up short. They've got to have a candidate who can deal with confidence with people who believe in the Second Amendment fervently, and those who think it's about the First Amendment or the Thirteenth, Fourteenth, Fifteenth Amendment. Now, you know, I, I I believe that Trump's got the the confidence and the and the verve uh, right now to reverse what should be the killer sentence of this this corona uh, virus pandemic Uh, i i think it really still brian comes down to vaccine on time trump wins no vaccine therapeutics crap out and this plague stays with us Uh, Into the deep into the fall, I I think he loses.
1: And if he gets another four years, I know Geraldo is going to be the press secretary and it's going to be a great next. (laughs) Something else to add to your Fox Nation
13: series. (laughs) Thank you. I I like it.
1: Yeah. Check out his Fox Nation series. Uh, It is fantastic. Uh, And you get a real perspective on your career and what we went through as a country because you've seen it at the forefront of it all. Geraldo, thanks so much. Your mission now is to have a great weekend in the same shorts you're wearing right now. You're wearing shorts, right? (laughs)
13: I am indeed.
1: I thought so. I could (laughs) see. It's summertime. You interviewed the president in shorts. You cannot do that.
13: I had a tie on.
1: Oh, okay. Back in a moment.
2: Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
10: Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
8: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
2: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we're
1: back. We got a couple of minutes here, one 866 408 7669 Uh, we did not discuss with Geraldo the, the the gaff machine, which is Joe Biden. Remember when he said this to Charlemagne the God? Um, Charlemagne the God, he's the, the morning the impactful morning show host right here in New York City.
0: Listen, you gotta come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions.
6: You got more okay. questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump,
1: and you ain't black. Dumb, dumb, dumb. And it really ticked off a lot of people. After he made his comments saying President Trump is the first racist president, Charmaine the God not sticking up for Trump, but just saying he should keep his bleep, bleep mouth shut um, because uh, essentially he should be the star in the movie The Quiet Man because he is showing too much, essentially. And then Joe Biden said something 24 hours after Condoleezza said, Condoleezza Rice was asked about race in America. He said, I would like to get to a place where somebody who is black, you don't have to have a preconceived notion of what they are, what they're capable of and what they think and what they want. She makes that statement. And then Joe Biden says this yesterday. Unlike the African-American
6: community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things.
1: Okay. Donald Trump hears this, right to point it out, cut three.
7: So I just watched a clip, and Joe Biden this morning totally disparaged and insulted the black community. What he said is incredible, and I don't know what's going on with him, but it was a very insulting statement he made, and... I guess you'll figure that out. You'll see it in a little while. But it was a great insult to the black community.
1: Now you know why the president of the United States wants a fourth debate and wants to move them up. Because about 16 million people, maybe 32 million people, would have voted already before the first debate. They have to move it up. They they have to adjust to the times. And for the debate commission not to move it up and not even acknowledge the pandemic. All of our lives have been changed. My goodness. The Indy 500's got to be run this weekend. It's normally Memorial Day. We're watching baseball without fans. Football without preseason or contact practices. All we're asking for the debate is to move the whole event up a few weeks. That's it. No audience, some security. Just get the candidates there, and they won't budge. But now you know why the president needs that debate. Because he's the better candidate. He knows the issues, and Biden is shot.
10: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand.
2: This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: This president, just
6: like in 16, when he when he defied all the polls and all the conventional wisdom that the swamp has in D.C., the swamp is wrong so many times. So I, I completely disagree. This president's going to win. He's going to have coattails just like he did in 16. I think we're going to take back the House. Look at all the special elections, Sandra. Every single special election. Guess who won? Republicans. Look at the seat in, in California, where for the first time in 22 years, the Republican House candidate took back a seat that the Democrats had, Mike Garcia, great candidate, great great member of Congress, that's why we're going to win. This this president, he understands how you connect with the American okay. people.
1: And he, what uh, Jim Jordan was responding to is the story in the Washington Post that said there's some panic among Republicans that it's going to be a disaster come Election Day. And we have Susan Collins losing... Uh, by about four points in Maine. Obviously, you can make that up quickly. And a dead heat for Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, something the Senator uh, Lindsey Graham does not think is, is uh, really a moment reason for concern. Ronna McDaniel has got to worry about everything. She's had her hands full as she tries to get a convention, which should be just about booking hotels and setting up an agenda. It's moved twice. Now it's back to Charlotte. Uh, Ronna, welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show. How do you have time to do this interview?
8: Um, I, you know, it's just because it's you, Brian, because you're
1: the best. Thank you. I feel honored. And if I find out you said that to Mark Levin, you're in trouble. <laughs> uh, so, so, no Ryan, if, Jim Jordan gets that question, and I'm sure you get that question off. There's a fear that it's going to be one of those elections where you lose. If you lose the White House, you lose the Senate. And the and the president, the former president, of the United States backed up by his former vice president, said they're going to just get rid of the filibuster. It's going to be 50 votes through the Senate. So anything they want, they'll get.
8: Well, absolutely. Biden has said they'll get rid of the filibuster. They've also floated um, stacking the Supreme Court. I mean, they will fundamentally transform Washington to make sure they don't lose anything again, make Puerto Rico a country, lots of those things. Here's what I will say. I'm a nuts and bolts uh, chair. I'm looking at the fundamentals. Jim Jordan is correct. We won all of the specials since the midterms. You've seen stories uh, recently that we are outpacing the Democrats in six battleground states and voter registration. Uh, we're knocking a million doors a week. Biden's not. Uh, every state I go into, I ask my team, what, what are you seeing on the ground for Biden? There's nothing on the ground for Biden. Really reminiscent of 2016. uh where Hillary Clinton chose to do everything on the air and digital and didn't get in with the people and knocking doors. So I, I feel very good about where the president is right now, heading into election day.
1: So would you agree conventional wisdom is, and I haven't seen anyone who can bucket. It's all about the pandemic. And how the president's viewed in handling the pandemic. We saw a very big switch over the last two weeks as he's starting to give updates on a regular basis and embrace the mask while still pushing to open schools. Make heads or tails of this from the political from the political portion. Like how how do you convince the American public who only 39 percent think the president has done well on this? How do you convince them he is the right guy?
8: I I think he did the right thing bringing back the briefings because the media was taking over a narrative and, and, you know, they're never going to be fair to the president. He needed to take over the briefings. We need to be informing the public uh, about what's happening and how we're fighting it. The president took the bold step of canceling the convention in Jacksonville, saying, I don't want to take resources away from a city that's uh, being hit hard. I don't want to take testing away. I don't want to bring people there. And this is the president that We have, but he's also saying we can balance opening things up while fighting the pandemic. And Biden is, everyone needs to stay in their basement and hunker hunker down until we eradicate coronavirus. Well, based on what we're seeing from the doctors, that's never going to happen. So we've got to figure out a way to live with this, be safe, be responsible, but continue to move forward with our lives.
1: True. Uh, In terms of money, what's your greatest concern now?
8: So we just outraised the Democrats. Uh, we did 165 in July. Uh, the Democrats did 140. Uh, this is that's really good. It means we have a lot of cash on hand in the bank. And remember, Brian, I'm spending it. I'm on the ground. So we have 1,500 staff on the ground for the RNC, the biggest field program ever. Biden's not spending it on the ground. Everything for him is going to go on the airwaves. Um, my biggest concern about money is the outside entities: Soros, Silicon Valley, Bloomberg. All these groups that will come in and pour billions of dollars in to aid Joe Biden on top of the media uh, help he gets. I mean, the fact that they're not reporting the very offensive comments he made yesterday saying basically all black people think the same, that they completely ignore that story. Uh, that's a bonus for Biden, that he doesn't get called out on his gas. So those are the things we're contending with every single day.
1: So what is the NRA lawsuit do? Here's Leticia James Uh, The AG of New York, cut 35.
4: These individuals in the NRA are charged with failing to manage the NRA's funds and failing to follow numerous state and federal laws, which contributed to the loss of more than $64 million in just three years.
1: So this lawsuit keeps them locked up with litigation. They've countersued. But they had planned on spending $30 million to reelect Donald Trump and other Republicans. What does that do for that?
8: So I think those NRA members are still going to funnel money into this election, more than ever. Uh, They're going to figure out a way to help Donald Trump, whether it's through the NRA or give to the RNC or give to other entities that are supporting this president. This is a huge issue, our Second Amendment rights. You've seen gun ownership go up as this anarchy is spreading across our country. I'll tell you honestly, I've never had a handgun in my home. I went and bought one. I'm taking shooting lessons. I have a lot of girlfriends in suburban Michigan that are doing the same thing because we want to be able to have protection in our homes in case the police do get defunded as the Democrats are putting forward in case we we do have this anarchy and And Democrat governments who won't protect their cities like you've seen in New York. Uh, There is a real issue. You've seen Hispanic gun ownership go way up. So to see this assault on our Second Amendment and at the same time see Democrats say defund the police, Uh, let's make our communities less safe, Uh, not only are they defunding the police, they're taking away police contracts from public schools. So our kids won't be protected at school. So there's so much uh, behind this that I think will motivate many gun owners across the country to say, no, 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 we see where this is leading. We're not going to let the Democrat Party take away our right to bear arms.
1: So you've asked the the debate commission to move up the debates and, and, and add a fourth. And their answer is no. Why?
8: Shocker. I mean, I'm not a big fan of this debate commission. I initially wanted to... Uh, negotiate our own debates directly with the campaign. I don't even know why this commission exists. It's not bipartisan. If you look at the makeup of it, uh, they're not fair to Republicans, but we're stuck with them uh, for this election. I hope they dissolve going forward, but they're going to do the bidding of Joe Biden. It's so sad because why aren't they doing what's in the best interest of the American people when voting is going to be starting well before this first debate, why wouldn't you want these candidates in front of the public to talk about their ideas and their policies, to give them the best information before they go and cast that first ballot?
1: Doesn't make any sense. I mean, I just interviewed uh, one of the drivers from the Indy 500. They're running it next weekend, and they used to be on Memorial Day. We're watching uh, football training camps without preseason, baseball without fans. We've all had to make adjustments with the pandemic. Why can't you take three events and just move them up or four events with the vice presidential nominee? It makes no sense. You could find venues that would take this in a heartbeat.
8: Because this is a group who is run by Joe Biden. Even if you look, it's supposed to be bipartisan. By the way, the the Republican Party can't actually do the debates because they have to be done in a nonpartisan way so you need this nonpartisan commission that's the way the fec works which i just think is ridiculous but if you look at the republicans on the debate commission i have it all the oppo of all the terrible things they've said about donald trump this is a biden debate commission they're doing the bidding, bidding of the biden campaign of course the trump campaign has negotiation power because they can say we're not going to we're not going to engage unless we have say in moderators but the reality is biden doesn't want to debate which gives him so much leverage with this phony commission that is working in the interest of the Democrat Party Mm -hmm. and not in the best interest of the American people who deserve to see these two candidates debate.
1: And by the way, uh, they have the debate. And you have one big problem is Joe Biden's wife says he's a moderate. He says he's a moderate. But the people around him. Uh, the one he's endorsing with AOC's energy policy and Bernie Sanders economic policy and him saying he's the most progressive candidate ever. It just begs someone to ask him the question. And I don't see anyone asking him that question until the first debate. What moderators have you agreed to?
8: They haven't agreed to moderators yet that that the Rudy Giuliani is negotiating for the campaign. Um, but Joe Biden needs to be asked tough questions. Brian, you and I both know this. How can you be president of the United States if you can't take a tough question? Uh, we've seen him answering questions via teleprompter. Um, the questions he's receiving right now are, "How do you like the campaign, sir? What's it like to be a candidate?" I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. Donald Trump takes tough, tough questions every day. I don't have any problem with the president having to take tough questions, but so should Joe Biden. It's a it's a rigorous job. We should have a a true understanding of your policies. Are you really going to give free health care to people who come to this country illegally? Do you think that will create a magnet for people to try to come here illegally because they know that benefit exists? What what are you going to do about that? Are you really going to raise taxes on 82% of American households as your plan lays out? Are you going to just destroy the safety of America and kill 10 million jobs? by getting rid of our energy independence and making us dependent on Iran again. I mean, these are the types of questions he should be asked. It's shameful that the media is giving him a free pass, and I don't understand why. This is our country. We should know who our candidates are.
1: Here is what Joe Biden said yesterday. First off, I also like to play what he said the day before, Eric. Why don't we play what he said the day before when he was asked about his cognitive ability? This was stunning because— he, this is an African-American host who I've seen before on another network and I guess now works at, at, at CBS and asked this. Please clarify, specifically, have you
6: taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie?
1: He's he's asking uh, anybody, but let alone an African-American in this climate, uh, are you you on cocaine? Are you a junkie as an example?
8: I I mean, it's just one of many examples. Uh, You're not black if you don't vote for me. Calling an African-American host a junkie. Yesterday saying that black Americans do not have diversity of thought or the same diversity that uh, Hispanic Americans have. This is what he really believes, by the way. And you know what else is a pattern with Joe Biden is if he's asked a question he doesn't like, he gets angry and he yells at the reporter and he loses his cool and he gets offensive. I think that's truly offensive what he said to that reporter. Now, of course, the reporter's not complaining. You know why? Because he probably supports Joe Biden. But it's a huge problem going into this election. Uh, And I think the fact that he's not being asked tough questions and called out and that people aren't sharing these clips is is even more disturbing
1: what about what has happened with facebook and the campaign
8: so facebook's actually been the better of the actors i mean twitter is clearly suppressing it's funny i did a tweet the other day and it got retweeted by you know don jr and eric and and the, and the whole trump family who usually you, you get a certain algorithm of likes and re, and retweets and it got totally suppressed and there's no transparency I think that's what's most upsetting about these uh, platforms is they do not have to reveal to you how they are choosing which tweets to elevate or or what algorithms you're, they're using on their search methodology. But didn't they just
1: freeze you out in Facebook? Didn't
8: yeah, they just they, suspend they, they you for 90 the days? They freezed out the campaign because the president said that children are less likely to get coronavirus than adults. That's fact-based. So we're going to see more and more of the censorship at some point, Congress is going to have to intervene,
1: but it'll be too late. You got ninety days to win late. an election. It'll
8: be too late. Is there yeah. panic
1: on the inside because Facebook f- helped fuel your victory <clears throat> last time?
8: It's a little less because um, the RNC and the Trump campaign for the past three years we have been we've spent about thirty million dollars building up our own database of voters that we can connect with directly, and we're bypassing these digital platforms at a much higher level. So. When you're seeing this record fundraising, that's because of this investment we've made. Uh, It was a tough investment for me to make at the beginning of my chairmanship. Our board had had to agree to Mm -hmm. a $30 million spend, but it is paying dividends right now, so we can directly connect with voters and not depend on these platforms.
1: Ron, as you look out at uh, Tom Tillis in North Carolina and you look out at Cory Gardner in Colorado, uh, both trailing in a very close race now in Senate. Susan Collins down by four, as I mentioned before, and Lindsey Graham's got his, uh, got his hands full in South Carolina. Uh, how are you approaching those elections? How are, you de- how are you allocating resources?
8: So the RNC's invested in every Senate race, uh, Colorado, even uh, Montana. We just put 14 more staff on the ground for Steve Daines. Uh, I think the ground game is going to make a difference with the expanse of, of absentee voting, in Colorado is all mail-in anyway, so they already have that system in place. Uh, it, it's going to be who is going to turn out their vote. And the fact that in North Carolina, we have expanded our voter registration and, uh, and are now doing better than the Democrats in North Carolina, the math matters. So the things that we've been doing nuts and bolts, bolts wise for the past three years will be the difference in actually turning out the vote. But they are close races. The Senate is at risk. There is no question. Uh, And the RNC, as as much as we're invested in the president, which we are, we are just as invested in the Senate and House races as well.
1: Country will change forever. Uh, It all revolves around this election. And a lot of that that pressure is on Ronna McDaniel's uh, shoulders as RNC RNC chairwoman. Ronna, thanks so much.
8: Thanks, Brian.
1: All right. Have a great weekend. I know you're not going to sleep, but good luck. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. A full rack of calls when we come back.
10: You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From
2: his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let me just uh, tell you right now, Don McGahn has been in appeals court. You know, the president does not want him to testify, nor does he. And appeals court just says he has to. But I'm sure they're going to go up to the Supreme Court now uh, and keep this on hold so you don't have a big show in November of him testifying about the Mueller report. Uh, Let's just drop that and let's see, uh, take some calls. Benjamin on WABC in Manhattan. Hey, Benjamin.
12: Hi. I just want to make a comment about why I think the president and his supporters, and I'm one of them, are losing the PR war regarding COVID-19. Okay. There are actually there were three game plans at the moment Plan or, or in history. There's plan A, which was um, no uh, lockdown with uh, improved hygiene. There's Plan B, which is like the Fauci plan, which is um, a general lockdown with social distancing. And there's Plan C, which is kind of like the DeSantis and Sweden plan, which is targeted lockdown uh, with social distancing. And when the pre- but nobody's really articulated it in a big way. I know you've mentioned it a few times. So when the president answers his critics, it sounds so disjointed. It sounds like he's making excuses. But he really does have a plan, and they have different metrics. Exactly. Like and, Benjamin, plan. isn't
1: it amazing you described some of the most basic things that we would have been handling this 200 years ago it's the same way. With all the scientists and all the technology, it's wear a mask, wash your hands. You know, if you have an underlying condition, stay in. Uh, make sure that you uh, make uh, keep six feet apart. And the president says, how many times are we going to hear that? while he watches economy wither on the vine. So he says, let's get back to work responsibly.
10: New from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
6: My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world.
10: You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Joe. Uh, we are going to have a great hour. We're going to get a perspective from the black community, Leo Terrell. He's a Democrat. He's a civil rights attorney. I got to get his take on the African American vote. Uh, Joe Biden thinks he's going to get it because James Clyburn endorsed him and Barack Obama picked him, but he is basically repelling it. And it's up to Trump to go out and grab it. And it, what he's got to do, he's got a three and a half year track record, and Trump has had made some. Uh, clumsy remarks. As Tim Scott said, I know he's not a racist, but he can make racially insensitive remarks. And with a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's in his 70s. And it was a different time back then. And I know in the, you know, anybody can insult anybody, especially in a time in which everyone's trying to be insulted and outraged and offended on a, on a regular basis. But Trump should, uh, to me, go back into the inner city, could create some events, have some people in some uh, some mini town halls of focus group like settings distance, of course, where you hear their complaints about the schools and issues and policing in the inner cities and the compliments on what's wanted. Let's get to the big three.
3: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three, DHS and DOJ officers were provided little to no assistance night after night in protecting federal properties and themselves, which violent opportunists used as a staging ground to prepare for their nightly assault on the courthouse and our officers.
1: Lawlessness and riots continue in Portland. I'm talking about 10 weeks, and last night they did it again. While Chad Wolf Wolf defends federal action on Capitol Hill, simultaneously defunding police takes root in 20-plus cities, a combination sure to get us all assaulted, robbed, or killed.
5: Number two. By Friday, if we haven't made significant progress and we're just too far apart, the president's prepared to take an executive action.
4: Perhaps you mistook them for somebody who gives a damn. See, the thing is, they don't believe in governance. They don't believe in governance.
1: Yeah, I, she'd better keep her cool. Between that and Joe Biden telling uh, a reporter to go tell that he's on cocaine and is a junkie. I'm really having trouble wondering why they can't keep their cools over in the Democratic Party. Today is the day the rescue package was going to be agreed on. Little has been done. There's no scheduled meetings. Last night's three hours produced nothing reportedly. Meanwhile, New York's angry, embarrassing governor and mayor try to out idiot each other. Months after the peak of the outbreak, de Blasio decides to crack down on visitors while vilifying the rich. While Cuomo realized if we don't get the rich back, there's no one to pay taxes.
6: Number one. Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about
1: different things. Hmm. I don't know. I'm listening to that statement, and if I'm in the Black community, I'm a little insulted. Let him speak. That seems to be what the Trump team is hoping Joe Biden will start doing. As more he, the more he talks, the more alarming, arresting statements he makes. You just heard the, the latest. Biden insults black Americans again. This is New York's A.J. moves on the NRA, but the effect might be the opposite of its intent. It was to shelve the Second Amendment. I believe it will bolster it. And here's why. Now, NRA members are going to vote for Trump. And I know the NRA has got some problem with their management. I have no interest in disseminating it. But when Oliver North walks away from it, I knew there was an issue. There's no reason for the AG of New York to get involved, number one. Number two, why it's in New York, I don't get. Number two, they are a powerful uh, advocate group for the President of the United States, who's a big Second Amendment guy. If you could put them on the sideline, make their, take their resources, defend themselves, uh, and get for legal fees, it'll be effective. But the problem is... They're going to double down there. People are going to pour in their donations. And there are so many first-time gun buyers that are going to say, wait a second, they are taking away my guns. Beto O'Rourke is saying that, and he is going to play a major role if Biden wins. It is not rhetoric. So no longer are you going to say, I'm not going to fall for the political undercurrent. I'm going to do what I want to do. But now when you see this attack, I think it's going to exercise Trump supporters. I don't think there's any doubt about it. It will boomerang. But in the short term, I'm amazed at the concerted attack. A super PAC supporting Trump has been banned from Facebook for 90 days for what they say is the president saying inaccurate statements and then retweeting it or supporting it or posting it. He didn't say an inaccurate statement. What he says is it's highly unlikely and difficult for young people to contract the coronavirus. But what he says, they're basically immune from it. It's the same thing. Scientifically, it's not. In everyday jargon, it is. But the exercise and the sensitivity with Silicon Valley and the social media outlets to stopping Trump is extremely apparent, and it's bothersome. Meanwhile, when it comes to the rescue package that affects your life, bolstering up the businesses, uh, refinancing the PPP program, maybe extending unemployment benefits, finding a way to stabilize as we try to get our hospitality and and the the airline industry back on track, Nancy Pelosi is not moving, and Mark Meadows is not moving. Uh, Steve Mnuchin, who might be a Democrat, had a relationship with Pelosi. They felt they could work something out. But Mark uh, but Mark Meadows is there for a reason. He knows that the Republican Party is not for writing more checks to keep people out of work. But I was shocked that Nancy Pelosi can't even keep her cool. If she's got all this leverage and feels so confident about the Senate and holding the House and that Joe Biden's going to win the presidency, why can't she handle a easy interview with Judy Woodruff on PBS? All she did was ask a question. Listen to this. Cut 25.
4: Democrats. Want more money, Republicans want a lot less. They are saying they're willing to show flexibility. And they're also saying a lot of the money that was passed in the spring, Madam Speaker, has not even been spent yet. Well, so if, you to be for them, Judy, if you want to be an advocate for them, Judy, no, if you want to be an advocate for them, let's I'm, know what the facts are. I'm playing are. devil's advocate no, here no, to aren't. ask you for your position. You know, I mean, the point is we have a bill that meets the needs of the American people. It's called the Heroes Act.
1: There's all crap in it is $3.4 trillion, which we don't have. But instead of coming out there and rationalizing, not taking the Republicans up on their offer to extend the $600 supplemental unemployment while they negotiate, it shows it's all about winning. It's not about you. And I don't care who spins it. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. That's a fact. Listen to Mark Meadows, 22.
5: By Friday, if we haven't made significant progress uh, and we're just too far apart, the president is prepared to take an executive action, and he will do uh, executive actions and take uh, executive actions to actually address those two areas to make sure that at least what he can do is is take action because Congress won't. So, one eight six six
1: four zero eight seven six six nine. The coronavirus took 2,000 lives yesterday, first time in a long time, but it is going down in Florida, is going down in Texas, is going down in Arizona, is going down in Georgia. It is going up in places, I believe, um, Mississippi and some of the Midwest, uh, eight separate states that have uh, Dr. Burke's extremely uh, worried, and she's flying around rather than staying in Washington and analyzing charts. I appreciate that. So we all know what it takes. With all these sophisticated scientists, they want us to wear masks, wash hands, stay away from each other, stay away from crowds, and make sure we don't go to a gym. If we do that, that's all we can do, basically, is just uh, thoroughly affect our lives. But if that works, that works. We'll see. I sense we're going to find out that the coronavirus has a mind of its own. Because there's big parties and big events in New York, and there's huge protests everywhere. People don't seem that concerned about that. Speaking about concerns, yesterday... Uh, we had Governor Cuomo come out and say this, cut 28.
7: We used to
6: be worried millionaires' tax people might leave. No, no, no. The burden shifted. We're trying to get people to come back. I literally talk to people all day long who are now in the Hamptons house, who also lived here, or in their Hudson Valley house, or in their Connecticut weekend house. And I say, you got to come back. When you coming back, we'll go to dinner, I'll buy you a drink, come over, I'll cook. They're not coming back right now.
1: Restaurants, the only outdoor seating, they're still almost all empty. Businesses aren't there. I walk down the street, no one's working. Uh, The big G.P. Morgan Chase, I don't see anybody there. Downtown, uh, the Wall Street is almost empty. Our building will stay empty, really, until 2021. I'm here, but we're a skeleton force. Minimal. They want to keep people out of danger, I guess. But the problem is we've had a lot of success, and they're not adjusting to the success, only the failure. In fact, this mayor decides he's going to make life hell for anyone who wants to visit. Instead of saying, keep your hand at, you know, we're going to make this place fun for you to come back in. We want to make it fun for you to be in. We want to open up the museums. We want to open up the theaters and figure out a way we'll go a third fill, but we'll get our actors going again. Instead, this is what we get from Mayor de Blasio, volunteer NYPD officials greeting us at major hubs, bridges and tunnels. Listen to this guy. Tell me if you want to come to New York after hearing this, Cut 26.
12: It has to become clear that this is serious business and it comes with consequences. We do not want to find people in this environment unless we have to, but if we need to use that tool more, we will. It'll be random, it'll be moving, but I think it'll get the message across. Uh, what we're doing at the airports, working with the state and the Port Authority, what we're doing at the bus station, Penn Station for uh, travelers coming in from those states, getting people to point of contact, getting them to fill out those forms, and then following up aggressively with them.
1: And then when the governor says, hey, we need the wealthy to come back, I mean, they're $30 million in the hole in terms of money they're asking for the federal government because nobody's working. And now that we're down to zero deaths the other day, it's, it's in single digits Listen to what de Blasio says. Instead says, saying, yeah, we'd like you to come back and this might be a good time to invest because for the first time in 15, 20 years, numbers are actually dropping on businesses and homes, 27.
12: To the point about the folks out in the Hamptons, I have to be very clear about this. We do not make decisions based on the wealthy few. Uh, that I was, I was troubled to hear this concept, and there are some who may be fair-weather friends. But they will be replaced by others. But we must build our policies around working people. And if our federal government fails us and doesn't provide stimulus, uh, we should immediately return in Albany to the discussion of a tax on wealthy New Yorkers.
1: <laughs> I mean, do I even have to further? Do I have to expand on this? Are you shaking your head, almost uh, going off the road? I don't care if you make five hundred million dollars or make fifty thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars the one percent paying at least fifty percent of the taxes to pave the roads and get the services for the working class as well most of those men and women have worked tirelessly to be successful. They shouldn't be embarrassed. They shouldn't be penalized. They should be taxed reasonably. And when you get taxed unreasonably, they leave because they've earned the freedom to call their own shots. They're now getting used to working from home and they're saving money and liking it. That's the way you welcome them back? It's about working class people? Do you get what capitalism is or do you despise what capitalism is? I'll come back and take your calls on this. I don't resent rich people and I come from a town and a society where people work just to pay the bills every month, and feel satisfied for doing it. Take pride in their work because they're on a path to success, and a solid retirement. That's all. I mean, that's our system. We have to reevaluate why we're here and in this system, because when you have people like that who don't know how stupid they sound, they're in. He's in the wrong country, and he certainly is not qualified for that job. Maybe you think I'm wrong. i will be welcoming those calls, too. Back in a moment.
2: There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Yeah. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A talk show that's real. This
2: is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Man, you talk about turning up the heat. The U.S. have uh, continued to go after China. We have just sanctioned 11 Chinese officials over the Hong Kong policy, including Carrie Lam, who runs Hong Kong. And they're basically arresting all protesters, stopping communication between them and changing rules, moving elections. They've taken it over. They're making it like Beijing. So it's no longer a financial hub. They're going to lose that revenue. They don't seem to care. They are done with the unrest. So we are sanctioning them. Look out. Mark, listening online in the villages. Hey, Mark.
12: Hey, hey, Brian. How you doing? You guys staying healthy over
1: there, Mark?
0: Yeah, we are. For the most part, they're staying protected. People are covering their faces. They're washing their hands. So yeah, we're doing pretty good down here. We're not doing too, too bad. It's going really well here in Florida. I just want to say I loved your live stream this morning. It had me rolling. I left. You, I shot you a tweet on why. Um, the reason I'm calling is, is um, a friend of mine who's got a son that's in college, who's a Trump supporter, interviewed a bunch of kids, asked them who they're voting for, and they said, "Oh, we're voting for Biden. We know he's not going to, he's not going to be president for long when he gets in there, but our focus is the VP." And so that's very, very disturbing.
5: It they,
11: is that they, they're going to sacrifice the this country
1: because of their stupidity. Well, just keep talking to them, Mark, and just hope that uh, the, the, the pattern stays the same and that seniors, uh, the older you are, the more likely you are to show up. And hopefully many of them will stay down uh, because there's no contest between Trump and Biden. It really isn't. And if there was a normal campaign, this would be either a dead heat or Trump barely trailing, but now he's got a big gap to close. And the problem is his opponent's not showing up for the fight. Jane, listening on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Jane.
8: Hey, Brian. Um, I, I, you didn't mention this on your show this morning, but it's breaking news. Biden came out of his hole this morning, and he saw a shadow. So that means four more years of Trump. So don't worry. It's going to be fine. We'll have to it's
1: see. we got a lot of debates, a lot of issues. And, you know, Trump is handling a bunch of interviews every day. So you never know what's going to happen.
8: He's awakened a sleeping giant. That's that's what I think. There's a lot of people out there. There's a, a, a large number of a silent majority, and these young kids, they're not even going to vote. They say that now, but most college kids, they don't even show up to vote. But uh, just one comment I want to make. When the um, impeachment hearings were on in Ukraine, all that, it was 24-7, and yet Lindsey Graham has – Uh, Sally Yates on uh, one of the most consequential investigations that ever took place in our country. And it's nowhere to be found on TV, not even on Fox. Can you explain that? Like, why? No, I I don't know. I don't
1: don't know why we didn't take more of it. I'm not sure. There might have been some breaking news there. I don't know if you remember, Eric or Pete, but I do know (laughs) this. Nobody they're They're not going to bring this up. The president, they're going to bring John Brennan forward they're going to uh, have, uh they're going to find out the FBI agent that brought up the subsource, the Russian subsource, and you're going to have to really dig to get it. But we'll keep pushing it forward and we're the number one network and this is one of the top radio shows in the country. Thanks to all you guys. Nick listen on WABC in Rockland. Hey Nick.
11: Yeah,
9: yeah, Brian. I just wanted to ask you uh why in South Carolina is the president up by like 20 and Lindsey Graham is in like neck is running neck and neck with his opponent. I it's, make surpri-
1: it's, it's surprising because Lindsey Graham is tight with the president. They were at war for a while and we know that and they got over it and they've been very good friends. And for some reason in South Carolina, they might be, uh, they might be giving, they might be upset by how close he is to Trump or I don't know, but I know that Lindsey no, Graham Trump, is not worried. Trump,
9: he Lindsey Graham yeah, is not worried, is Nick. More, yeah, but Trump is up more than Graham. So it can't be that they're upset at Graham for being tight with Trump because Trump is up way more than Graham in the polls. I know, in South Carolina.
1: I'm a little mystified by it, but there's a lot of money pouring in against Lindsey Graham because of his impact on the world stage. Mark, listening on Liberty, uh, New York. Mark.
11: Hey, Brian, how you doing? Uh, I just want to comment on the uh, the debates. Yep. I think three are fine. I don't think we need four debates. I, I mean, all right, you know, start them uh, earlier.
1: Then can we start them earlier?
11: Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that. It doesn't really matter. The people that are going to vote for Biden are going to vote for Biden. The people that are going to vote for Trump are going to vote for Trump. And the independents, you know, I I just can't see them voting for uh, Biden.
1: I don't know, Mark. I just ask you, ask somebody who didn't vote for Trump last time is going to vote for him this time and ask how many have flipped. That's going to be key. Jason in the House, the Jason
2: Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things.
1: I was stunned to hear that. I've heard this about six times today. I did it this morning on Fox and Friends. And I just say this is a day after he he started yelling at an interviewer for asking if he took a cognitive test. Yelling at him. Said, are you on cocaine? Are you a junkie? I mean, both these things are usually the death knell for any candidacy. But nobody says a word. Outside shows like this, Leo Terrell is a civil rights lawyer, longtime Democrat, host of the Leo Terrell podcast, and uh, always a great guest. You can always follow him on Twitter at at the Leo Terrell. Leo, welcome back.
0: Brian, glad to have me. Uh, Glad to have have me back on your show.
1: Well, uh, Leo, I thought you right away because you (laughs) want to vote Democrat. You just want you want to address race relations in our country. But you cannot believe the ham-handed way in which joe biden is addressing these issues i don't want to lead the witness but are you outraged by how the african americans got categorized by that guy
0: uh brian the democratic party has just gone sideways you know the the thing that makes it so upsetting about the joe biden statement is insulting it's racist it's offensive. It's stereotypical viewpoint of a racist. And the only reason why he gets a pass, Brian, is because he got a big D on his name, Democrat. Brian, if, if Donald Trump said that, there'll yeah. be riots in the streets. And it's amazing. That's the hypocrisy of the Democratic Party. Because you know what? He thinks that all black people, Joe Biden thinks that all black people think the same way, act the same way. No, I submit to you, Brian, that Condoleezza Rice and Al Sharpton do not think the same way. It is insulting, and he tried to walk that statement back yesterday, but it's too late. The damage has been done.
1: We'll listen to this. This is just 24 hours prior to Joe Biden making this statement. Peter Baker of The New York Times is interviewing Condoleezza Rice, and she said this about race in America.
11: I would like to get to the place that when you see somebody who is black, you don't have preconceived notions of what they're capable of, who they are, by the way, what they think, which is, I think, a problem of the left.
1: So she says that, and then Biden follows up with the exact worry that she has about society, that people are sizing people up by the color of their skin, thinking that you can make blanket statements like this.
0: Condoleezza Rice, Brian's statement is right on point and it describes Joe Biden as a T. How in the world can he honestly assume that he knows how black people think, how we act? He's not black. But it's pandering, Brian, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to roll out Jim Kleinberg. He's going to say it's okay. I got news for you. Jim Kleinberg doesn't speak for black America. He doesn't speak for me. Black Americans are individual like any other group of people, and they have their own different way of thinking. Joe Biden is a racist, and I will submit to you that black Americans listening to your show right now should honestly give pause to voting Democrat simply because he's a Democrat. They should consider Donald Trump. That's what I'm doing this year.
1: So I believe this, and I'm not a political operative. I'll just tell you what I would think. If I'm in the African-American community and I'm frustrated in the inner city and I look around and there's generations of people, my friends and family going through very below average schools in a city that's now letting me down. If I'm a candidate, I take the tie off. I go into the city. I set up some round tables on camera and off camera, and I try to say, what is the problem? How can I help? Let's get away from the Molotov cocktails. Let's get away from Black Lives Matters being sp- uh, sp- uh, put in the street, uh, the kneeling at games. Let me just say, what can we do to help? How do we break the cycle? And th- if I'm Brian. Trump, I'm in that. That would show a sincerity. Others say, well, it's a little late. We had three years. I go, I don't think so. What do you think?
0: No, Brian. Brian, what you just said right there, I hope Donald Trump. I hope you I hope this is recorded because that is a perfect blueprint. You know, the Democrats have had control of Chicago, L.A., Washington, Baltimore, Los Angeles for 50 years. They have failed. You are 100% correct. Condoleezza Rice is correct. Education is the key to break the poverty cycle in minority areas. The only reason why I'm on your show today because I went to a good public school. I went to college. I got a law degree. It is the way to break the poverty cycle. But you know what, Brian? Democrats want pandering. They want minorities to depend on the government. They don't want the cycle broken they want the poverty pimps to tell us we need the government and more importantly you know what else is counterproductive those darn teacher unions that honestly prevent kids to have school choice charter schools vouchers yeah. it's unbelievable
1: i know to me it's unbelievable too because it seems like democrats would be leading republicans there but it's teachers unions that keep kids in public schools, even if they're failing, because if the union loses students, they lose teachers uh, to private schools. That's all they care about. Teachers, if you would talk to them individually, most of them do it for the kids. They take money out of their pocket. They do their own bulletin boards. They're getting calls at night. They come home. They're thinking about that child that doesn't seem to be learning or the one that needs extra help. Teachers are the kindest, most open-hearted people that I've met consistently. I don't mean to generalize, but consistently. But the unions represent something different.
0: Brian, you are right on point. Thank you very much, Chase. You know what, Brian, before I became a lawyer, I was a public school teacher for seven years. And you described the hardworking teachers. They care about the students, But the union management, there's a disconnect. They are power-hungry. They finance Democratic candidates yep. in exchange for Democrats to prevent school choice and charter and voucher. So it is the management of these public unions that are basically corrupting the public school system. They want to keep their power, and that's why they put money in those Democratic conferences.
1: So I want you to go – let's fast-forward to law and disorder. And the whole push now to de- de- defund the police—it's happening over 20 cities, uh, to-, to a degree. Tempe, Arizona; Berkeley, California; Los Angeles, California; Oakland; Hartford, Connecticut; Baltimore; Portland; Charlotte; Minneapolis; New York City; Philadelphia; Saint-Loc- Saint Louis; uh, Saint Salt Lake City. So don't say it's not happening yet. It's happening. So they did a poll. Did Gallup? Hardly a fly-by-night operation. The majority of black Americans said they want police presence in their area either remain the same or increase. Sixty one percent said they'd like police to spend the same amount of time. Twenty percent say they want more time in the area. Who are they? I don't know who these people are who are saying defund the police or reimagine police. Who are these people? It's not showing up in the stats.
0: It's amazing. You and I are straight on point. I saw that poll. Black people and people of color want police. They want police support. It's the last line of defense between them and the criminal. You want to know who's running this? I'll give the extremist groups and Black Lives Matter and Antifa, I'll give them credit for one thing— they have dominated yep. the social message, and they've got people thinking that they represent the majority of people of color. That's a big, fat lie, but the Democratic leadership has pandered to Black Lives Matter and Tifa's and these extremist groups, and that's why you're hearing this call for defunding police. I have a sister in law enforcement. I sue bad officers, but 99 percent of officers are great, and we need them. It's crazy. It's yeah. a disconnect.
1: So, so here's where it's not disconnected, and you're, you're uniquely qualified to answer this. So they asked people, the biggest gap, a racial gap, is between fairness and perceived bias. Only 18% of black Americans say they feel very confident that local police will treat them with courtesy and respect. Overall, 48% of Americans, but 56% of whites. So that 18%, how do we change that?
0: Very easy. Very easy. There has to be a person like Leo Terrell telling people that there is no more systematic discrimination. Brian, you hear the Democrats pandering the race card. They're claiming that Democratic cities like Chicago, L.A. have systemic discrimination. Brian, this is not 1960. You don't have all-white police forces. You have community policing. You have people of all different colors on the police department you have people of color running the government but the democrats still play that race card and people react on emotions and not facts and the facts are there's no systemic discrimination yes there's occasional racist acts but the system is not racist and that has to be done through an education process people like myself you give me the chance to speak telling people going to the community say that doesn't exist anymore the bad prop the problem is Bad politician.
1: So I'm going to game plan this out because I've whitelist so many debates on this. First, they say, if you want to know why uh, there's so much unrest in the black community, well, that's where the crime is. They say a disproportionate amount of crime comes out of the black community, inner city community. OK, fine. My answer is not that why are criminals there? It's why are is crime there? And what is the feeling of, is there a feeling of hopelessness in that area? So people say, well, the family is not there. Well, how do I change that today? I don't want to wait a generation. How do we change that today? How do we give the the young men and young women in that area a sense of hope? They'll get them in a path, to know what investment is, to know what a good major is, to know what a good occupation is, and let them know the possibilities outside the blacktop where, you know... And, and, you know, the Fresh Air Fund and things like that, it's got to be bigger than these small foundations and funds. How do we get in there and give them the hope that other people in more in more uh, positive environments have?
0: I'm not stoking your ego, but you are absolutely dead on. Excellent question. The answer, you got to start very basic. It's the education. It's the schools. The schools, the focus has to be the excitement and the energy focuses on English, the science, the math, and where it will lead. Right now— School is not even a factor in these communities at all. They see these schools as failures. You have to change the mindset of the community that school is the ticket out of the economic despair. And school is not a priority. Education is not a priority of the community. It has to be the number one focus. If you can get the church, the black churches, to focus on that area and the change of the educational system, to me – those are the first two steps to change the mindset in these communities.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the main thing. If we cut through the politics and yes. just give people hope, that's what they yes. need—a hope. They don't need—they don't need money. They don't need a bigger house. They don't need a bigger car. They want to—they want to know how to get it, how to earn it, and know it's and, possible.
0: And, and Brian, let me simply say this: the, the fight against. This progress, what we're talking about right now, are the poverty pimps, the Al Sharptons, the Black Lives Matter, which it's which which that group is small in numbers but powerful in the way they're messaged. They tell you the other it's a battle because there are people in the community, what I call poverty pimps, that it's not in their best interest for these for the community to improve. They like the community this way. Al Sharpton has made a living for twenty five years this way. Black Lives Matter is the new version of Al Sharpton. They exploit weakness and masked up problems. There's not a unification of trying to improve the community because certain people are what I call profiteers.
1: He is uh, Leo Terrell. Leo, thanks so much. Let's see how this Brian plays Robin. out. Thank you. You got it. Appreciate the perspective. We come back. I see you on the line. I also know there's a lot more news to go over. Uh, We're following that. More sanctions on Chinese officials. We're following that story. And there is some hope, even though nothing's scheduled, that some type of detente will be and some deal will emerge from uh, the rescue package. Republicans and Democrats, uh, not the House, but the Senate uh, and leadership and Democratic and Republican leadership still remains in Washington.
2: Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. I'm going to try to get a more to know in. I'm also going to uh, take a couple of calls. Let's go out to Omaha, Nebraska. Carolyn's listening KSAB. Nebraska is uh, no longer uh, out of the fray. It's in the middle of it. Hey, Carolyn.
8: Yeah, um I wanted to say that for those people that are kneeling at the football game,
11: that for us, it's like you're slapping us across the face and spitting in our face, and then you expect us to, to help you or do something different. No, if you want our help, do it before the game or after the game. You know, one not thing I'm
1: Carolyn, I'm going to be talking to Jeremy Roenick, outstanding player, commentator uh, with hockey, um, and he is—he's going to be on talking about that. The hockey players taking a knee. And now it's a story if you stand. Uh, now, now it's a big deal if you stand. And Charles Barkley gave a warning to the sports world, guys. I understand what you're doing, but don't turn people off. They turn to sports for a break. They've had a—they've had a lot of stress. Don't make it worse. And I think the rating show it's making it worse. So uh, thanks, Carolyn. I understand your frustration. Uh, Chuck, listen. AF and FM News Talk ninety seven one. Chuck.
9: Hey, Brian. I thought I thought uh, it was high comedy that that uh, De Blasio wants to tax the people. Do you believe this? Who, who want to come back? That's that's incredible. But then on the other hand, uh, you know, Geraldo said he's a communist, and uh, they they just are counting on the trillion dollar stimulus every three months to go on forever, and they won't need taxpayers. That's that just must be what's in this this guy's head, who is a special kind of stupid, I'll tell you what.
1: Right. You know what they were saying? They used to say, well, we can't pay cops and firefighters. They've already made it clear they, they don't care about cops and firefighters. They've already cut their budgets. So now you're going to complain? Forget it. You, have, you don't even have that to bring up uh, to pull on anyone's heartstrings. Thanks so much for the call. Let's find out if there's indeed more to know.
2: More. Know. I'll be
1: talking about this on Jesse Waters this weekend where you can watch me. I'm filling in for the great Jesse Waters. It's about Mike Tyson. The quote, I was scared. In fact, I found out he threw up a bunch of times. He was encountering Shark Week uh, on Discovery Channels. The guy that brings him through actually lost two limbs to a shark and now dives with other celebrities to let them know you shouldn't be afraid of sharks. Quote, I was scared all the way through. I was just trying to get through it alive. Quote, I'm a scary guy, but not when it comes to adventurous stuff. One shark kept bumping me and I'm like, what the hell do you want? Tyson vs. Jaws Rumble on the on the Reap Sunday at 9
11: p.m. You going to watch Discovery? Definitely going to see what this is all about. Now here's something that I know a lot of people like to know what professional athletes think of like certain movies that are made about their profession. Well, here's Tyson on the Dan Patrick show saying something that I think will be near and dear to your heart.
3: How do you think Stallone looked in Rocky? Like, was there a Rocky movie where you thought Stallone looked like he could have held him held his own in the ring?
2: That, that wasn't based on appearances and all that stuff. Rocky was based on Intestinal Fortitude hard work, determination, the desire to overcome adversity. That's what that was based on. So that makes that, next to Raging Bull, the greatest boxing movie in the world, yeah. Rocky is a conglomerate of of fight inspiration. So that's why he supersedes everyone else.
1: I love that. Uh, What did he
11: say at the last, what was that last line? About Raging Bull? Or no, Why Rocky, he said that's why all the heart and determination is why Rocky supersedes everybody else. Oh,
1: uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, that's why it, uh, you know, that was cool that he avoided that rather than critique his fighting skills.
11: Yeah, because, I mean, I'd be curious, too, what, a, you know, if he's in, like, physical shape. But then again, they always said, if you remember, that Carl Weathers, actually, he was in such great shape and great training, they felt he could have actually joined a, uh, right. become a professional boxer.
1: Next work remotely take a break every 30 minutes in your home office it might be ruining your back no question that's why i stand i stand during fox and friends and about half the time on radio uh, a new study finds many people have home setups and they sit all day and it kills their hamstrings and it hurts their lower back a few suggestions to ease the stress put a pillow on your chair uh, wrap your armrests if they are too low and pete you're standing and eric you're sitting so you do both next aoc was nominated for an emmy for her film project art of the green new deal is that sickening? Is that emblematic of Hollywood
11: in bed with these left-wing politicians? And You look at some of these nominees, I mean, this is so far left, but that's what you're right. That's what they want. This is them promoting the agenda.
1: Brett Favre says he really thought it was an honor playing golf with President Trump. He says he's real good. He's got some good skills.
11: And he said he would have gone with any president that had made him an offer to golf with.
1: Jesse Waters, I'll be hosting this weekend. Hope you like it. I'm wearing a different suit. Thanks so much for listening, and keep it here on the Brian Kill Me Show.